This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you're listening to another episode of the Crown Cast, and we are talking New York City FC, baby. And uh, that's a good thing to be talking because they are our punching bag. <laughs> they are the team that Charlotte FC goes to when we need to get right, when we want to stabilize, when we want somebody that we can go out and just destroy and know that they're not going to be able to fight back. Uh, and some of that is a lie. And here to discuss what of it is a lie and what of it is the truth is Josh. Hello, Josh. Hey, Logan. I heard zero lies in that statement. Three for three. There are no lies. Three for three, but I do think we're probably going to have to look a little bit closer at the numbers <laughs> and 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 say that, like, obviously, there's not a world in which New York City FC can, like, beat Charlotte FC. No, that's mm. clearly not possible. But are they, like, completely behind us in every way, shape, and form? Mm, if you listen to me try and pretend that I'm Josh in the last one. Uh, you would probably discover that I actually think they're a pretty good team, and we did a pretty good job playing them. Uh, let's let's get into this one here. Uh, for those of you who may be looking for some content relevant to the Open Cup, uh, the U.S. Open Cup did happen. Charlotte FC did get a result in that. I'm not going to tell you what the result is in case for some reason you're avoiding spoilers. Uh, I don't know. If you want to know more about the U.S. Open Cup, we did a surprise post-react, and it was a surprise because it was a surprise to me as well. I didn't know I was going to do it until it happened. So uh, go look for that. You can find it anywhere you get our podcast. If you're listening to this, you know where to go listen to that. And uh, here's some really cool stuff about what happened against Orlando. Today is about uh, NYCFC, and we have a lot to talk about, so we're going right into it. Oh, that was a lot of talking. Uh, Josh, uh, I'm going to ask you the question outright. We talked in the last episode about the fact that Latanzio's job is now very, very hot and mm -hmm. that there are there are people now falling on the side of the fence that Latanzio is not the right man for this job. We get a good result, but we also get a good performance. How big is it that we get both of those two things in this match? Um, I think from a Latanzio perspective, I think both of them are very important for his job because um, I'm normally a person who is results in a lot of ways. I, I want to see a good process, but especially when my team is struggling um, for a while, I'm going to be just happy with getting positive results. But I will say I think the majority of this fan base is reaching a point or maybe has already passed the point where they don't want to just see a good uh, a good result in a, in a win. They want to see a good result with good play on the field. Um, and, you know, it, it's been a bit of a struggle this year to see both of those. So I think um, getting the result along with that good play. If you're Latanzio, you're hoping that stabilizes your positioning a little bit, I think. Yeah, it feels like something that does require a bit of stabilization, and that does come from getting both, right? We've talked in the past about the fact that uh, one of the great coaches in the game who coaches the, the women's side of Arsenal uh, gave the statement that process is like a flywheel, right? Results are what ultimately drive the engine. A flywheel will keep you spinning. Good process will keep you going when you don't get results for a couple of times. But ultimately, results are what tell the tale. We get a result. 
and we get the process that I think will maybe inspire some fans. It will inspire some analysts that that the flywheel could be spinning in the right direction and could be leading us to a, a little bit brighter place. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to uh, Enzo Capetti because yes. I think we're going to talk about him a lot today. I think it's a, a good idea to just start with him and start specifically with his first goal. I'm going to I'm going to talk about the first goal for this purpose only. Um, Enzo, I think, deserves more credit than a lot of people will give him here. I think a lot of people will see this play just like I did, and they'll go, wow, Ashley Westwood, what a ball, right? (laughs) And they will see the bombing run from half field from Mackenzie Gaines out on the side and the amazing slot through the corridor of uncertainty for Enzo Capetti to tap in what might be statistically the easiest chance Charlotte has ever scored. Josh, can you think of a... I think so. I I was telling you before we hit record that it was a 0.88 XG, and I can literally not remember seeing a a higher percentage shot from a Charlotte player. Yeah, stats are a little weird. (laughs) And in this this instance, a 0.88 XG means that the ball was basically already in the back of the net when he (laughs) hit it. Like... (laughs) It's I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything in the point nines. Uh, so point yeah. eight eight is incredible. But none of this happens without Enzo's work rate, without his willingness to chase something that is dead. Coaches will tell you nothing is dead in the game. Chase every ball, chase everything, because it probably won't happen but there is always a 1% chance that something goes amiss and then you'll be there to pick up the pieces and benefit, right? You could forgive Enzo Capetti for not chasing down the long ball hit over the top by Jan Sobosinski. It's not a great ball. It's way outside of Capetti's range. It's more likely to go to a keeper and then secondly, most likely to go to their defender before Enzo is going to get anywhere near it. Enzo does not give up. Enzo goes flying by one of them and almost uh, gets a touch on it from the keeper and puts that keeper under stress. And this is such a great piece that if you want to go back and you find this replay and you want to show it to your kids team, you want to show it to a high school team, show them this because Enzo doesn't win that ball. Enzo doesn't get a touch that bounces off and they immediately score from it. But what Enzo does is he makes the keeper panic. This is a team that wants to control the game. Enzo does not let them start a new phase of play. He says, you don't get to pass it, you know, comfortably to your defender and then set up all your positions. No, you have to boot it right now or I am going to run it down your throat. They boot it. Charlotte wins the ball. Everyone is in disarray and we take advantage. It does not happen. All the other great stuff, and Josh, I'm going to let you describe the great stuff. All the other great stuff I'm going to ask Josh to describe does not happen if Enzo looks at a ball that is way beyond what he should be getting and goes, you know what, I'll chase the next one. Josh, you want to talk about all the other amazing crap that happens in this goal? Yeah, I I think that this is one of the, I would describe this as one of the tidiest goals uh, that Charlotte have ever scored because what you have is after that goalkeeper panics and he and he launches the ball 
It's a simple header from Jalen Lindsay to Mackenzie Gaines. Mackenzie passes it to Swiderski, who lays it off one time to uh, Ashley Westwood. And Westwood, as you alluded to, has a fantastic ball that just sneaks by a defender. Um, and we all know how fast Mackenzie Gaines is. He is full tilt onto that thing. And then there's an open debate about whether Mackenzie's pass is better than Westwood's, I think, because there's it's, a... It's, it's not better. It's, uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and weigh in. It's not better than Westwood's pass. It's amazing. I, you may continue. <laughs> I... Okay. Well, <laughs> this is this is legitimately not my uh, Mackenzie fandom coming. I just think that there is an angle for this goal that where you see the way the pass goes. Regardless, it's a great pass. He bends it perfectly around defenders in front of the keeper. And Enzo is standing in front of the goal, and it's one of those where if you miss it, you kind of have to retire because there's no coming back from it. It's <laughs> it's a goal I think um, everyone likes to say, that's a goal I could score. I really think that the majority of, of football fans could score this goal um, because, man, it is just right there for him. It is, I think in this goal, you're seeing a lot of what the potential of this of this team could be you have a guy like westwood who is threading passes you have a guy like Gaines who is using his his talents and especially in the speed department to get behind you have enzo's really good movement too if you rewatch this he does a great job of selling his defender that he's going near post before breaking back towards the center everything about this is just sort of what you want to see from a, a good team um and we can we can set aside whether whose pass was better the point of the matter is this was also i think big because it got the crowd into it we're only i think this was the eighth minute i think the crowd needed this this was something where we wanted to see this team come out and really excel um and getting an early goal like that just keeps the momentum going yeah uh, I am going to stay on this one a little longer because I think it deserves it. This is probably the best team goal I have seen out of Charlotte FC potentially ever. Mm. Um, and when I watched it happen, I went, wow, a lot of stuff was amazing in there. And then I went back and I watched the replay and I went, wow, that you could have played that ball. What they just did, you could have played that against any team in the world and it would have been successful. The... Mm the level of perfection in every piece of that move is killer. You cannot live with that. If you are doing that level of one-touch, high-speed, incredibly well-weighted passing, I mean, the reason I personally think that I, I rate the pass from Westwood higher than the one from uh, Mackenzie Gaines is... West Westwood solved the train problem, right? If if Mackenzie Gaines train leaves uh Southamptonshire at 426 <laughs> going 648 kilometers an hour and um that's a really fast train. Uh <laughs> he he solved that that problem and then I hit the ball coming from the north at he solved that problem in a second. A, a millisecond. He looked up. He knew how fast Mackenzie Gaines was. He knew that space was going to close. He believed he could hit a ball that would clear that space and then would slow down in the space it needed to slow down for Mackenzie Gaines to be effective. He told Mackenzie what he was going to do with the ball by that pass. Mm -hmm. if, if that ball is too short, Mackenzie has to cut it back and the move dies. 
If that ball is just a little bit too long, at best, McKenzie manages to barely keep it in, and they take it off of him, and the move dies. That ball is weighted so perfectly that I genuinely believe there's not a defense in the world who manages to to control that splitting pass. Maybe we we start to move on here. This is this is an incredible move, and I think we we have hopefully done it. It's due. Um, Enzo gets props. Gaines gets props. <laughs> Carol, by the way, I think deserves props. Uh, Jalen Lindsay deserves props. Everybody on that right side, uh, absolutely incredible job. Uh, I think I want to talk about. You know, we didn't necessarily have the the better side of the ball in this one we weren't necessarily the one always attacking and i want to talk about christian kalina because Mm -hmm. christian comes into this team again and obviously this isn't his return appearance but christian is back in this team and he's showing us why we loved christian kalina he's a fantastic shot stopper he -hmm. saves a couple in this one that you you maybe don't back your keeper to save (laughs) but what he really does is when those balls come in the box, even the ones that are coming towards the high side of the box, he makes a decision, he goes, and then that ball is his. If mm-hmm. he's coming out, you can you can pretty much send the check to the bank that says he's he's collecting the ball. His ability to to own space inside of his penalty area is remarkable. And it's something that I maybe got a little bit too adjusted to watching him last year it's something that maybe i started to take for granted because we were focusing on his distribution Mm. if you say what are the big three things for a keeper right so maybe mentality a winning mentality would be one of them but we're going to put mentality aside Mm -hmm. you have territory control you have shot stopping ability and you have distribution Mm -hmm. In territory control and in shot-stopping ability, Christian Kalina is world-class. Now, there's probably a pretty good argument that says he's not world-class in the last one, right? But I think we have seen in uh, Marks, who struggles in this area of controlling that territory, that maybe Marks is a little bit better of a twitch, you know, shot-stopper than Kalina is. But... Kalina doesn't have to save some of these because he just goes out and owns it. And I think it's really important that we we give him his fair due here. Do you want to talk about goal two? Yeah, sure. Um, so goal two is about one of the most direct goals that you'll ever see. Um, it is, I think, two passes, maybe three. Um, and New York is behind us. It's a pass from, I think, the goalie to a defender to a midfielder who then slots it in behind uh, Nathan Byrne. Um, Nathan Byrne, I think, is... I think this is where you alluded to it in the post-react. This is where I think you see a right-back playing left-back being at a disadvantage. When I look at this goal again... I think what I see is a is someone who is used to being able to look the way that he is looking, which is to his left and seeing a line. And in a normal right back position, he would see the line. He would know whether he has to step up. He would know whether he has to drop off. I think here he's not used to where he is on the pitch. He's not looking back over his shoulder. 
to check the line. And so he's kind of caught out. I think he might think that he needs to not do anything so that he doesn't break the line. I'm not really sure. All I know is it is a ball in behind where he is completely taken out of the play. Jan Sobaczynski does a good job of catching back up. I think that there's some question about whether he should do better or not. I think it's hard because I think he's expending a lot of energy to catch back up with the New York player and try to get back on. He he goes shoulder to shoulder. I think he does a good job of not going in too hard. Maybe you want him to be a little controlled his challenge so that um, he can sort of force the guy more towards the touchline. I, I think the guy, the New York player, and I, I don't remember the New York player's name. I think he does a good job of sort of bouncing off of, of Jan. Um, and then he has a really tidy finish, and it, it's 1-1. It's one of those plays where um, you hate to see it because it is such an easy goal in the grand scheme of things. They did not make us... They, they didn't have to work very hard to get this goal. Again, it was two passes, and boom, it was a guy in behind. Um, and those are, unfortunately, some of the issues that we keep sort of seeing, these, these shoot-yourself-in-the-foot uh, moments that seem to happen every single game for this team. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've, I've considered about this goal is I think that they take advantage of DJ, and I don't mean this in a in a bad way towards DJ in the sort of 442 setup we were you know the shifting 442 we were in at this point in time we are we have stretched our field right um mm. we're we're not in a super compact shape we are we're in a stretched position and they do a really good job of taking advantage of it they look to that side and they see DJ is there and that first long ball is a ball that is set up for DJ to go on a foot race and that's not DJ's skill, right? I mean, he has a lot of amazing skills. There are a lot of other players you would put. You'd put Mackenzie Gaines in a foot race versus DJ any day. So the person who is there to be covering that is actually doing a good job. DJ just doesn't win the foot race. I, I don't have any issue with him there. The next ball is not nearly as good as Mackenzie Gaines's ball. Uh, or as good as Ashley Westwood's ball, but the second ball is really good. It splits the line yeah. perfectly. We talked in the post-react about the fact that Byrne is playing Pereira onside. Uh, it, it is kind of what it is. Pereira yeah. goes in. He's a good player. He's one of their top scorers, and he shows his quality. I think, for me, because I also had the question of, do I expect better from Jan there? Jan doesn't do the dumb thing. He doesn't go through the back of the player and give away a penalty and a card. He gets himself in front of the play. He asks the question of Pereira, can you make this under pressure? Mm -hmm. And maybe if he's, you know, William Saliba or if he's Virgil van Dyke or if he's one of the best defenders in the world, you then expect he's not him playing to... for us. Yeah, then he's not <laughs> playing for us. But maybe if he's one of the best defenders in the world, you expect him to be stronger in that challenge and, and sort of put Pereira more off balance. But ultimately, I think you kind of have to doff your cap to Pereira, who made a good cut back, uh, yep. used John as a shield, and, and finished a great shot. Uh, is there anything on this one you feel like we're missing, or should we move on ahead? No, I think sometimes you just have to remember the other team plays to win too, and they yep. they have good moves. Occasionally, the other team plays the football good. Uh, I think I think we're going to go on and we're going to talk about Justin Merrim 
and his connection with Enzo Capetti because mm-hmm. it's been sort of hyped up in the media that Justin speaks a little bit of Spanish, which means that we now have someone on that front line who can communicate with Capetti and can sort of provide another outlet of, of technical ability for Capetti to rely on. He's not only looking at Westwood for opportunities. He's also looking at that, that skill of Justin to both earn him space. We've seen Justin now be willing to sort of take a shot Mm -hmm. outside of the box. And even if it's not a super high percentage one, what that does is it forces defenders to respect that it can happen, right? Maybe he doesn't hit the first one. Maybe he doesn't hit the second one, but if defenders continue to leave him out there, he's going to put one in eventually. So sooner or later, one or two defenders are going to float out to that high side of the box and guess who's going to enjoy that open space. That's right. It's Enzo Capetti. I answered my own question. We, I, I think that we see a, a bit of a partnership forming here in a technical player and a player who wants to receive that technical ball. And I think it has a long way to grow, but we see already it come together in really just an immediate hit back goal from a corner. Josh, Enzo, does he have any right to win this ball? Again, this this is a case of, I think a lot of people get get t- too tied up in, in Enzo's so-called antics, um, and I'm not here to relitigate those. What I will say is his effort is maybe only matched on this team by a guy like Brant Bronico or Carol Swiderski, and we've talked at length about how those guys will run themselves into the ground. And that's how I feel about Enzo, is that he's a guy where he is going to go for it at all times. And that's what this is. I think we have to give him a ton of credit for the timing of his run. I mean, it is absolutely perfect. The jump is fantastic. It's one of those things where if you just get a little bit of a knock on it, you don't really have to do much with it. You just got to get your head on it and direct a goalward. And that's what he does. But this is one of those, I think, I think there's a lot of effort in it, but I also think that we shouldn't discount just the the work that the timing that goes in to me that's a that's a real striker's goal some guys just have that innate ability to time up those type of things and Enzo looks like he has that yeah not only does Enzo look like he has that he looks like he is now sort of partnered potentially with someone on that outside who can take advantage of it and that's not to look down on Kerwin Vargas Kerwin Vargas is a young player he's a very Mm -hmm. direct player and I think that Justin brings a little bit more trickery. Um, obviously, you know, you're not likely to get the same level of speed out of that yeah. wing with Justin on it. You're you're trading one thing for another. And we'll see as the the season goes on whether or not that wing kind of gets found out. Um, you know, MLS, you know, professional teams in general are very good at finding weaknesses and very good at exploiting them. But it looks like we found a combination over there that could really grow into something beautiful. Uh, Goal three, I think the biggest thing about it for me is that we do it, we get it back in like a minute and a half. Is it, it's two minutes, 37 and 39? Yeah, so two minutes. For me, I feel like this game was always kind of a fair match, Mm -hmm. but it always felt like we had the momentum. This is so important for a team when they do feel the momentum shift to immediately go get it back 
Uh, were you, did you feel similarly? How did you feel the momentum went in this one? Um, you know, I, I thought we, I thought we had it more first half than second half. I thought that, um, New York kind of stepped up their intensity a little bit in the second half. It It is one of those things where it's hard to tell game state wise. I mean, they're chasing a lead. We have a lead. All of that goes into, I think how that can sort of feel in the moment. Um, but I agree with you. I, I think that overall that this was a, I think that this was a fairly even game. I think that we had the advantage overall in the first half. And aside from the goal that they score, which again is a good one, I didn't feel overly worried during that first half. Like they they weren't really creating a ton in that first half, I felt like. Um, and and so aside from that goal, I, I don't think you can say we didn't deserve a lead going into half. Yeah, I do. I do think it is right that we deserve the lead going in. I am going to give you because obviously there is a goal that's ruled for offsides. Mm-hmm. I think it's only ruled offsides because of a really good dummy of the ball. Is that- it is. Um, yeah. Which hurts because yeah. it, like, it hurts to see that level of flow and play not rewarded. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm going to give you one more chance to gush about uh, Mackenzie Gaines because <laughs> I think he deserves more highlight than just his one good run and one good pass. This one is offsides, but you want to tell us about it? Yeah, so as you alluded to, there, there's a ball played in, I think it's from uh, Maram, and Swiderski has a great, great dummy, and it goes to Enzo, who is offsides in the moment, but no one in the stadium knows uh, that he's offsides. He does Enzo things, which is great holdup, flicks it out to Westwood, who gets it out to um, Gaines on the wing. And again, he's given Gaines a ball where, as you said, with the first goal, he's telling Gaines what to do. It is perfectly weighted, and all McKenzie has to do is just pop that thing back into the into the box. Um, and he does it. He does it really, really well. It's a really good weighted ball. It's perfect height. Swiderski is there and it's one of those where you look at it and you say that deserved to count because yes Enzo is offside but man he's barely offside and he wouldn't have been if if he thought he was getting that ball directly yeah it's one of those things that <laughs> if the slightest touch comes off uh, a yeah. Charlotte FC player that is one of the most beautiful goals once again executed really well by Carroll mm-hmm. by Enzo by uh McKenzie Gaines uh, by Westwood, uh, these guys are looking like they're starting to be able to link up. Uh, I'm going to go in and I'm going to, I'm going to gush more about Ashley Westwood. <laughs> We've sort of gushed the good feelings about Capetti. We've gushed the good feelings about uh, Gaines. We've gushed the good feelings about Kalina. We've gushed the good feelings about Justin. Why not do Ashley Westwood too, right? Ashley Westwood got a crown for me in this one because of his movement it's so easy as a player especially as like a highly technical good passing player to say meh get the ball to me and then i'll make something special happen this is a trap that there is a man who was very famous in the premier league uh named mesut ozil who a lot of people will say fell into that he was so talented at being able to find gaps in the defense that he didn't then go and present himself as an option, right? Ashley Westwood is a machine. 
and he's really, really good at being three yards away from the guy who needs relief. That is really what impressed me the most. Every time I looked around the field and I said, ooh, they're getting closed down. There's no option here. And then I went, oh, actually, there is an option there. There's Ashley Westwood. And beyond that, you know, we're talking about sort of a three-dimensional vision of the field. Ashley wasn't just in a position from which he could create a relief valve. He was in a position to be relief that would then become dangerous, right? He had already worked out step two. You can see it in the first goal, right? You can see it in the second goal. Uh, you can see it sort of all over the pitch in this one. In fact, I, as I went back and rewatched it, I counted numerous times where when we did poorly, when we didn't do well, when we didn't control the ball, it's because we didn't get the ball to Ashley Westwood fast enough. He was there. He was available to be that outlet. We were just not able to get the ball to him. We didn't have that one-touch fire to him yet. And that's okay. Ashley hasn't been a part of the team that long. And for a significant portion of it, he has been injured. Yep. Right. Uh, I want to talk about us giving away their penalty. Mm -hmm. Because as much as I have gushed about Mackenzie Gaines, I do have to to lay something at his feet here. Mm -hmm. And that's he gets the ball on the sideline. And he looks up and he sees that Ashley Westwood is clear. He's there in a perfect space to take the ball, to take away the pressure off of him. And he doesn't hit it. And whether that is a matter of he didn't have faith in that being the correct ball, whether that's a matter of he didn't have the field scanned beforehand, whether that's a matter of he didn't have faith in being able to hit the pass, whether it was just he didn't control it correctly and wasn't sure he could get it there. Either any one of those scenarios is possible. But what we see here where he is not able to one-time it, he's not able to move the ball out of his feet quick enough. He didn't use his enough. left foot. He didn't use his left foot. I mean, that that's what I see with, with this is he he's trying to pass with his right foot and the defender is on him. Yep. And when he goes to pass with the right foot, it's too late. And, and these are the margins, right? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately what happens is he turns around, he makes a bad pass with his, with his right foot. Does he actually hit it with his right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he makes a bad pass with his right foot. That's too late. And it, it's going down the field the other way. These are the margins between a good team and a great team. If yep. we can get that connection on, and I'm not just talking about Mackenzie Gaines, but if we have a player like Ashley Westwood, who's always there, who's always three yards away, who's always ready to be a relief. If we can start moving the ball through the midfield, especially against teams like New York that will give us time and well, not time will give us space because they want to play their structure. If we can start pinging balls the way we did in that first goal, we are going to be killers. Mm -hmm. I, I genuinely, genuinely believe this. There have been so many times this season where I've said, I don't see the plan. There are so many times this season I've said, I don't necessarily, I don't know how this is going to work. I see how this works. If mm -hmm. Ashley is capable of putting in that level of performance with DJ doing a fantastic job backing him up, by the way, Ashley can't do what he's doing. If DJ isn't being a one man rock in the middle of the field. Yep. Huge credit to DJ. If we are capable of repeating this, and we learn those automatisms, those abilities to just know that someone's going to be there, pick your head up, one touch the ball to Ashley, Ashley turns it, finds another pass. We are going to start destroying people in the midfield. 
And we need that as a yeah. team. That to me is a clear path where we progress to a better club. Um, I think yeah, I, I've gone on long enough. Should we actually talk about the penalty about Adils and Milanda giving away the pen? We can, if we want to, I mean, it's, it's a moment of panic from a young player. I think like yeah. that, that's what I'm chalking it up to. I, I think he might also slip a little bit with this as well, but maybe that's just me being trying to be fair to him more fair than he deserves in this moment. Um, it's it's a silly penalty. I mean, I think that's really all you can say about it. Yeah, it's a it's a silly penalty. It is it's thrust on him. You know, it's not like it's a, a mistake from no pressure. Yeah, it's a mistake from pressure. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's going to learn. Hopefully he will recover with some relative speed. And it, it always sucks to see that you literally get injury to the insult yep. of giving away a penalty. Uh, but we hope he comes back stronger. I do think it helps everyone, including him, that we win this game. I think if we don't <laughs> yes. win this game, there's a lot more negative talk <laughs> about a uh, rather silly uh, attack or attack, rather silly challenge in the penalty area. Uh, goal five. Uh, this is just pressure. Mm. Um, an own goal from the other team. I think that there's an argument to be made that when Enzo Capetti does what Enzo Capetti has done, the other team feels like they need to move a half step quicker. Yeah. And when you're moving a half step quicker, you make mistakes. Do you want to add anything onto this? Um, no, I think that's a good point. I was going to say, I, I'm torn on this goal, whether it's a good ball from Carroll where no one's attacking the space they should be. Or whether it's a bad ball from Carroll because no one is in the space that he delivers it to. Uh, regardless, it really doesn't matter because it goes in and we end up winning the game. Um, and at the end of the day, that you know we've we've been been I think a little bit with bad luck with own goals. So it's also nice to see that luck go both ways. I think. Yeah, and I'm firmly of the opinion that uh, Carroll Swiderski had that aligned the whole time. He knew where everybody was, and he was like, "Look." <laughs> This time it's just easier for me to intentionally <laughs> hit it off of uh, Lenzema's head and into the uh -huh. goal. This is just sometimes they'll, they'll never expect this thought Carol Swiderski and then did it and it worked. Um, he went home, had a nice bath, glass of wine, really felt good about himself for that one as well. He should. Uh, let's, uh, it, it's a win. It's a big win. It feels really good. Uh, we move on to the next one because we're not necessarily in an easy stretch of games to win the first one in a relatively hard stretch of games is nice. Yes. Now we look to the next theoretically quite hard <laughs> game that we're definitely going to win. And we are going to Atlanta. Yes. Josh, you want to tell us about Atlanta? <laughs> you know, I, it really hasn't been that long since we, we first saw him, you know, not a lot has changed with Atlanta. I think you always have to start with Tiago Amada for them. Um, I, I do not foresee a world where this guy is still with Atlanta after the summer transfer window. I think he is has to be going to to Europe and for a pretty big fee. Um, and it's justified. He has five goals on the season, five assists. Um, a lot of those did come in the first month of the season, so he's cooled off a little bit. But I, I think you underestimate him at your own peril. Um, to me, he's his most dangerous part of his game is his passing when you look on on fb ref and you look at his numbers 
there is not a single thing passing wise that he doesn't do extremely well. He completes balls at a high percentage. He makes key passes. He gets assists. He is progressive with his passing. Um, if you can push him off of the ball and make it really hard for him to find time on the ball, that's what you have to do. Even then, he's he's good at carrying the ball and getting away from defenders. He is he's unfair for this league in a lot of ways, I think. I think he's very much over talented for this for this league. Um and he is the guy who I think you have to game plan everything for because if you can somehow slow him down, you slow a lot of what Atlanta wants to do. Yeah, and I think there's a couple things we have to sort of bring into the frame here. Number 1, if you look at when we played Atlanta in the beginning, uh Shinyashiki was playing the 10. Brant Bronico was playing a role in which he had literally never played, to my knowledge, in his life in playing yep. left back. Uh, Tuiloma was just getting into the team and wasn't settled in. Obviously, Tuiloma and Milanda both out for this one. But we see Westwood had just come into the team and Capetti had just come into the team on top of the fact that not only had Almada been very good and devastatingly powerful, uh, Caleb Wiley had like the game of his life against us. And so far. <laughs> yeah. That's not to say that Caleb Wiley can't reproduce that level of of brilliance. Mm-hmm. But how many times last year did we did one player score four goals against a team? It happened once. Daniel Rios did it once. Yeah. Would you back Daniel Rios to do that every game? Probably no. Would you back Daniel Rios to maybe do that again in his life? Yeah, sure. But guess what? The odds that Caleb Wiley is going to have the same level of devastation, I think, is quite a bit lower. (laughs) Uh, And I think that gives me a little bit of hope. You know, what is your sort of positivity meter going into this one, Josh? You know, what is really giving me hope is that, um, and and I'm not happy that Brad Guzan is injured, but Brad Guzan is injured. He's been out since the beginning-ish of April with a MCL, which he he tore his MCL in a game and played the entire game. So that just tells you the kind of guy he is. Um, but the goalies that they have brought in are not good. I mean, this is just bottom line. The 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 goalies that have started for Brad, Brad Guzan are Quinton Westberg and Clement Diop. Neither is good. Westberg is basically a career backup. He's 37. He is, in my opinion, just looking at the numbers, a bad goal goalie. I mean, he he allows a ton of goals in. Last year for Toronto, he allowed 24 goals in 10 starts. Um, Diop is also a career backup, has never really started for anyone. He has one year of making 20 starts, and he was allowing almost two goals a game that year. So my hope comes from the fact that I don't think that Atlanta's team is built to be necessarily defensively stout. Their fullbacks love to get up the pitch. They have good fullbacks in the attacking sense. Usually when you have good attacking fullbacks, defense is not their forte. Their center backs are are good. But when you pair a team that wants to be attack-minded like they are with some bad goalkeeping... um, it really gives me hope. They've allowed, I think, eight goals in the three or four games that that uh, Guzan has, has missed. They've lost the last two, allowing five total goals. So 
there are goals to be had in this game and and that's what gives me gives me hope is because i think if we can have some opportunities i don't think we have to worry about west westberg or diop whoever it is standing on their head and and denying us i think you can get get balls past these guys yeah and i think something that that aligns here and keep in mind everything i'm about to say i'm gonna then unsay um (laughs) i think we're kind of hitting these guys at a good form time for charlotte Mm. um i don't necessarily know the personal relationship between enzo capetti and carol schwederski but the two of them are playing closer together on the field and they both look better for it carol looks like a killer right now enzo has to be running hot on confidence i mean well, obviously, Enzo's not going to be available for this one. So, uh, and the back line a, is has some issues as well. But, <laughs> but from the from the attacking standpoint of the team, uh, we don't have DJ either. If I'm if my memory of cards is correct, we are not going to so, have DJ. Not going to have Enzo. I'm thinking it's going to be a Sobachinsky burn center back pairing. Something something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our opportunity is going to be to go forward and attack them. Um, I think if we rely on a really stable, you know, park the bus strategy, there's a lot of opportunity for them to to overwhelm us. Mm. I do think that we're getting Yazwiak back, and Yazwiak looks hungry and, yeah. quite frankly, terrifying. He looks <laughs> so good. So if Yazwiak comes back, maybe we get some of that Polish connection. If Westwood is healthy and has had a little bit more time to bet into the team, maybe we get some really good service up in that direction. This is going to be a team that wants to go forward, which is going to leave space for Gaines or Vargas, whoever is playing. And I I just feel like we have a chance in attack to go and punish this team. Now, that comes with the statement that we look pretty shaky on defense and we're going to see whether or not we can put together a stable performance. I have reliably at this point in time in these sort of uh, previews looked at a team and gone, guys, this is a really good team. We need to we need to measure our expectations against this team. And for some reason, every time I do that, every time I'm like, this team is good. We need to measure our expectations. We then go and crush them like I did it against Philly. I did it against uh, NYCFC. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and just for the sake of this, say this team's super good, guys. We really need <laughs> to measure our expectations. There's this is going to be a really tough battle. You to have win. to say it like you mean it. <laughs> um, uh, no, genuinely, I mean, I don't think anyone out there can deny the talent that's mm-hmm. on Atlanta. It's a good team. Yes, but it is a good team that has some some issues right now that Charlotte is well well positioned to take advantage of will that be enough i really don't know but i'm excited to watch it and that feels really really good um anything anything you want to tack onto this before we start to wrap it up no i i think i think your points about us you know not parking the bus are, are valid i will say um and and i made this point during during the um a little while ago during the nyc game that we've won three games this year, all three we've been outpossessed. So I don't think that we should park the bus and have 20% possession, but giving up possession to this Atlanta team, who is one of the few teams in the league who statistically controls the ball more than we do, 
I don't think that that'd be a bad thing if it's somewhere around maybe 55, 45, something like that. I think you'd be, I think it'd be interesting to see maybe Mackenzie Gaines started up front. Um, if you're going to play that kind of style, because he would give you a really quick outlet at the top of that attack. Um, but I, I think what you said is correct. I, you're going to have to score goals if you want a positive result from Atlanta, whether that's a tie or a win. Um, I don't think you're going to shut them out too too often. So um, it'll be interesting to see how Latanzio and the team deals with all these absences. Um, and and that's, a, that's a hostile environment to go into. But as you said, I'm excited for this game. And, and to be honest with you, I think if you had asked me four weeks ago, three weeks ago, if I was excited to watch Charlotte go to Atlanta, I would have said absolutely not. Um, so that's also a nice change. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I am going to he- go ahead and I'm going to give you my thing to watch for this game. And this one's going to be sort of revolving around Ashley Westwood. Mm. Ashley had the opportunities he had against NYCFC because NYCFC went out to play their game and they didn't really bother to close down space. They didn't really bother to double team anyone. They, they went out to try and beat us with their football and it left space for Ashley to, to really excel. Atlanta might go out and try and play their football and ignore Ashley Westwood. And if that happens, he's likely to rip the midfield apart. But I want to see what happens when another team comes out and says, we're not giving you Ashley. He's not going to be your out ball. We are going to overspend our resources to make sure you cannot go to Ashley Westwood and see what happens then. Because if we can solve that problem, suddenly this team looks like it not only has talent and has skill that's starting to work together, it is also a team that has options. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start going from, hey, this team could do well, to, hey, this team is serious. And and I I would love, I'm not going to say I see that transition from where we were, you know, three, four weeks ago, to this is a a really dangerous team. I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot more hurdles. It's not going to be a straight line. But that's what I'll be looking for next time. Uh, As ever, if you have decided to spend this time with us, we love you. If you want to find us online, you can find us on Instagram at the underscore crown underscore cast. You can find us on Twitter at the underscore crown cast. And you can find all of the amazing stuff that Josh and Ewan do uh, on the blog at crowncast.net. And uh, we will talk to you again after we go and take our next three points. From Atlanta, goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.